about a, a reality, life in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ came to bring life. And with this life, he, he has also brought this new reality known as the kingdom of God. And that's what we've been focusing on all year. We started off by looking at the Old Testament and, and what the kingdom of God uh, was revealed through that Old Testament. We've, over the last few weeks, we've been studying the gospels. And what do the gospels say about about the kingdom of God. And, and today is the last of this sermon series on what the gospels say. And, and it's important to remember in the gospels, we see the promises kept by the king who came. Friends, there, there was and there is a plan for the kingdom of God. And, and what, what Jesus is doing is fulfilling that plan. And, and what, what was promised in the Old Testament, it, it, it has happened, it is happening, and it shall happen. All of it fulfilled under the sovereign care of God to the glory of his name in Jesus Christ. Now today, as we sum up and as we finish this series on, on Pentecost Sunday, we, we're going to see how this promise has been fulfilled. This comes, and I'll put it on the screen for you. This comes out of Joel chapter 2. Beginning in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Now that promise was kept on this Sunday. 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is Pentecost Sunday. You can read about the actual event in Acts chapter 2, and I want to challenge you to do that today, to take time and just go back and read the entire chapter, Acts chapter 2. Now, I love the storybook Bible, the Jesus storybook Bible. I, I highly recommend it, not only to children, but to adults. I, I, I love it as well, and they, they knew that. They, the publishers realized that, so years ago, they actually created a picture-free Jesus storybook Bible, so those of us who like like the, the illustration and story to be told by Sally Lloyd-Jones can enjoy it without, without looking like we don't know what we're doing. But I like the pictures. And so I, I love these pictures and I love the way she describes Acts chapter 2. Let me read this for you. Jesus' friends and helpers huddled together in a stuffy upstairs room. Even though it was, a, it was sunny outside, the shutters were closed. The door was locked. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus had told them. I'm going to send you a special present. God's power is going to come into you. God's Holy Spirit is coming. So here they were, waiting. Actually, mostly what they were doing was just being scared and hiding. You can't blame them. Their, their best friend had left. The important people and leaders were after them. And Jesus had given them a job they didn't know how to do. As they waited, they were praying and remembering. Remembering how, from the beginning, God had been working out his secret rescue plan. Suddenly, a strong wind filled the little room, whistling through the walls, rustling the straw on the floor. And there on everyone's heads, shining in the gloom, were flickering flames, fire that didn't hurt or burn, and something more. Inside, in their hearts, they felt a strange heat, almost as if the coldness and hardness were, were melting away, as if their broken hearts were mending and God was giving them brand new hearts, hearts that, that could work properly. How it happened, they didn't know, but they knew God's power had struck their hearts ablaze and Jesus himself was coming to live inside of them. Our, our text today is Jesus describing 
what these blessings are that the Holy Spirit gives to the citizens of the kingdom of God. These blessings come to those who believe. And so what we're looking at is called the, the upper room discourse. This is, this is where Jesus, this is the last night of his life. This is where the Lord's Supper was, was created. And Jesus is describing to the disciples what's about to happen. He's about to die and he's going to be raised. But, but he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send to you a helper, a counselor, a comforter, a, a, a paraclete, one who is like God, who is God, who's going to come alongside and he's going to bring blessings. And that's what our text shows us today. The, the blessings that come with the, with the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and Millie's going to read for us verses 15 through 17. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in John chapter 14. Millie, read for us God's word, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Thank you, Millie. The Holy Spirit, he is so mysterious. Of all the doctrines, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is one of the most complicated to explain and to illustrate. You know, for, for me, this is for me, one of the ways I best understand who the Holy Spirit is, is to think of him as a song. You can't see a song but a song moves you. A song, a song teaches. A, a song inspires. You know, in Western society, we, we, we use music because of that very, that very blessing that it brings. You know, yeah, of course, I, I love athletics. And, and so it's not unusual now for, for any competitions, certainly one uh, at a professional level, for them to have a hype song. You know what a hype song is, right? That's, that's a song, you know, that gets everybody excited. And if you'll notice, a, a lot of athletes now, they, they'll, they'll have their headphones on or in. And, and what they're listening to, I, I can assure you, is not a, a, a sermon preached by Pastor Jason at livinghope.com. I can assure you because that, that'll help you go to sleep. But what it will do, uh, what the, the song, the hype song will do is it gets you fired up. You know, and we use music in different ways because of the way it moves us. Uh, my daughter was, was married just a, a few weeks ago and, and the, the, the song that I walked her down the aisle to was Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And it's a beautiful hymn filled with wonderful theology. And it's meaningful to us because since she was first born, every night I would rock her to sleep and I would sing Great is Thy Faithfulness to her. And so we went down that aisle and it, and it moved our hearts and it inspired belief and reminded us what is true. And, and in Western culture, we, we also use it, and I think especially in movies, it's, it's, it's amazing how so much of the music we love now is, is associated maybe with, with a, a movie, bless you. And, and so, you know, it, th there are certain songs, especially in scary movies, how, how the whole environment changes. You know, if you were before, if you were born before uh, the, the year 2000, I, I bet you know, I, I bet you know this song. How many of y'all have ever 
how many of y'all know that song and you actually saw it in a theater? Means you're old, just so you know. Yeah, so that so we know that that means somebody's about to be shark snack, right? And that what that that's what that song means. But but music has a way it it, it teaches us and it moves and it and it inspires us and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us. He changes us. He influences our perception of reality. And in the Old Testament, promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And Jesus confirmed that fact. And we're looking at just a very small section of, of this upper discourse. I want to challenge you today, not only to read Acts chapter 2, but go back and read the entire discourse, chapters 14 through 16 in the Gospel of John. And listen to all that Jesus said about this paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the comforter. There, there, there are so many important things there in terms of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in particular. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at this very short text. And there are three blessings that I hope that, that your heart can receive and understand and apply to your life. And, and, and I, I want to encourage you to write them down and to remember them. And so here are three blessings that, that come because the Holy Spirit has come. And the, and the first is this, the helper. And I use that term because that's the, that's the term used in, in our text for the paraclete. The Holy Spirit has come to give us transformed hearts. The Holy Spirit has come to, to give us transformed hearts. We, we know that love is a feeling, but, but I hope we know that love is more than a feeling. Love is a choice. We choose to love what we find lovely. And, and loving God and obeying Him is not something we do naturally. Now, we should, but we don't. To me, God is like a good steak. Not everyone likes steak, but they should. Amen? <laughs> a few weeks ago, a dear friend of us gave us some steaks. And when my son Jackson was home a, a, a few weeks ago, we were, we were out grilling those. And so I think we got a picture of that. Does that move your heart? Can I get an amen? Come on. Now, some of you, you're like, yeah. There's others, you're like, oh, that is disgusting. That is just, it's revolting. <laughs> You know, it's, it's interesting. God is like a steak because for some who are able, he's lovely. He's wonderful. But for others, he's revolting. Now, I want to make sure you understand when I, when I talk about God, who I'm talking about here. I'm not, I'm not talking about someone's imagination of what they want God to be like. You know, some safe, distant being that really needs us more than we need him. You know, some, some kind of uh, spiritual entity that, that really doesn't matter, but it's kind of a mythical kind of whatever you want it to be kind of a thing. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, he's different. He's awesome. He's uncontrollable. He's loving and gracious and merciful. He's holy, which makes him terrifying. And he's demanding. He demands devotion and love that leads to obedience. He is the only true God. And he gives grace and mercy to those who repent and believe the gospel. But he will bring judgment to all those who love God and, and, and are able to ascertain the truth of who he is. They love him. Others who see God for who he really is but do not love him are often revolted by him. The, the fact of the nature, the fact of the reality is this, that 
By nature, we don't love God. See, as, as human beings, we're born with a sin nature. And, and that sin nature wants to be God. We, what we want is we want to be in control. We want what we want, and we want everything to work around the way we want it to be. But, but God in His grace, He's come to give us new life. But without that life in our natural selves, we are what is described here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that is what we are by nature. If you leave your child to itself without any discipline, that is, this is exactly what your child will naturally tend toward. This is our natural inclination because of our sin nature. And the only way we can ever come to truly love God is to have a transformed heart, actually to get a new heart, which is exactly what the Bible promised. In Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, God said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When we are born again, the Spirit of God gives us new life. And I use that term, born again. It's a biblical term. It comes from John chapter 3. That, that term is one that Jesus used to describe the reality of salvation to Nicodemus that night. And, and I would encourage you to go back and, and read John chapter 3 and, and to understand the work of the Holy Spirit and, and, and why He matters and, and what is required. When, when the Holy Spirit moves on a heart, it feels like conviction. It can often be painful, but it, it's, it's new life, like a, a labor. There's, a, there's pain, but there's a, there's a birth. There's a new life that is coming. And this new life, it changes who we are. And it, it enables us to be partakers of something divine. It says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, and I underline this in my scripture, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. Partakers of the divine nature. Something that was not natural to you becomes a part of you, but a partaker of a divine nature, of a divine reality, of a new life, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This divine nature is holy. This divine nature is living this divine nature is God, is the Holy Spirit of God alive in us, allowing us to, to do what is taught here in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We put off that old self. We put off that old life, that old dead life, dead to God in, 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 in a revolting sense against God, hating the, 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 the demands of this God, 
not wanting to have to obey, not wanting God's authority in our life, not, not wanting this holiness, wanting to feel and to have this power and pleasure, popularity, possessions. But when new life comes, we repent and believe the gospel. We, we have a new reality, this divine reality and love. A love that is divine. A love that is not natural. A love for God that changes the way we live. Friends, if your love for God does not change the way you live, it is not truly a love for God. At least not the God of the Bible. It says in, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments, they are not burdensome. See, for those of us who believe who Jesus is, we love him. And because we love him, we obey him. We obey him because we love him. The way we communicate our love to God is we say, God, I trust you. And because I trust you and I love you, I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to trust myself to be deceitful. I'm not going to trust and concern myself with, with creating a facade or some a false reality. No, no, no. I'm going to walk in the truth. I'm going to say what's true. And, and I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to obey you no matter what it costs me because I know, God, that you are good. And because I love you, I will obey you. I've said this for years, and I hope that this has become an axiom of your thinking. If you're new around here, I would encourage you to consider this axiom of thinking that is soundly biblical. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. To love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If a person does not obey Jesus, it is because they do not love Jesus. If a person does not love Jesus, it is because they do not know Jesus. Because to know Jesus is to love Jesus. And to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. Friends, if you're not obeying God, it's because you have a, a, a lack of willpower. It's because you have a lack of love power. And it is a love that comes supernaturally through the partaking of the divine nature that is the Holy Spirit of God. It is this new life. And, and, and we can only love Jesus if our hearts are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And, and we need to pray for this transformation. And we need to pursue being changed by this God. The second thing to note is that the Holy Spirit, our helper, is one who not only transforms our hearts, but, but enables us to receive and discern truth. So write this down and remember. The helper has come to give us eternal truth. To give us eternal truth. Now go to verse 16. I want to show you some things etymologically. I want to show you some things that these words, these words are very important. Uh, th these words show up in other portions of scripture and I, I, I want to give you some tools. Notice it says, and I will ask. That, those three words, I will ask, is actually one single Greek word, eroteso. And this is an asking unlike the way we would ask God the Father. This is an asking amongst those who are mutual. This is an asking from, from an equal to an equal. 
So when, when we pray, we are praying to the Almighty. When Jesus prays this, he's praying as the Almighty to the Almighty. The, the Trinity is, it is a mystery, but there are three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so here the, the, the Son incarnate in flesh, God, is praying to the Father who's in heaven. And, and this prayer, unlike ours, it's not a request from, from a lesser to a greater, but to the greaters, amongst the greaters. And so it's a proclamation of reality. It, it is a statement of promise. But then notice, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you, and, and this word could be, could be easily missed, but I want to point it out to you. You see the word there, another? It's a very important word. This another, it's the Greek word alon. This another means other or another of the same kind. Jesus is God. He is eternal. He is holy. His communicable and incommunicable attributes, the, the, the ways in which we understand him, that our language fails us, incommunicable, but the communicable of the love, of the holiness, of the greatness, of the magnitude, the very essence of God. The Holy Spirit has and is because he is God. And so what, what Jesus is saying here is, is that here is this other of the same kind. And just as Jesus is God, so the Holy Spirit is God. But the very fact that he says another, what he's communicating here is that there, all, there already has been one who has stood in this place. He's speaking to the reality of who he is as God, as one who is the Pericleton, and, and that's the word here I want to show you for helper. But he's, what he's saying here, it's another of the same kind who is going to be doing what I've been doing for you, but in a different way. And so he says, I'm going to pray to the Father who's going to send you another. Now, your ESV, as, as Millie read so well, says helper. Some of yours will say counselor. Some of yours might even say comforter. Now, this parakleton, parakletos, it comes from two Greek words, para and kaleo. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo is to call out, to speak to. to and so that may be a means of help. It may be a, a means of encouragement. It may be comfort. It may be counsel. But it is one who comes alongside, who speaks the truth, who gives the truth. And this helper, again, look at it. This helper is what? The spirit of truth. Tanumates alatheus. The spirit of the truth. He is the giver and the defender of truth. Now, who is truth incarnate? Who is, say it out loud with me, uh, or respond to me audibly. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? Who is that person? Jesus. He is the word made flesh. He is truth. The Holy Spirit is the giver and the defender of truth. He has come to exalt Jesus, to make Jesus known, to clarify the, the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. And the way he's done that is by giving us the scriptures, the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the author of all scripture. That's why it's holy. That, that, that's why it's infallible. That's why it's completely inerrant. It is completely accurate because it is holy as God is holy. And yet he worked through human instruments. And what a miracle this is. It's described in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along, as they were 
carried along. And there are so many commentators that use so many images. And, and it's going to require a, a, a holy imagination by, given by the Holy Spirit to, to put concepts into what this means to be carried along by, by the Holy Spirit. And, and what he's doing, he's giving us truth. It's eternal truth. The truth of the scripture is eternal because God is eternal. These words are the words of God. Therefore, they are eternal words, holy and pure and righteous and trustworthy in, in every aspect of what they mean. And, and although they were out of time, although they have existed beyond time, they were given in time for a blessing. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But we need to understand this, this scripture, it, it's, it's only acceptable and, and it's only accessible by those who've been born again by the Spirit of God. It's only acceptable and it is only accessible by those who've repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because these words... It's not that, that people can't understand the words and the vocabulary. It's that they cannot believe them and be transformed by them. It's, it's that they cannot capture what, what God and who he is and what he's doing and why. There's a reason for this. It tells us in scripture why. This is, this is very important. This doctrine is very important. And, and I, I hope that it will help with our, with our attitudes, especially as we continue on in, in a, in a post-Christian culture that, that, it, that is now Western culture. It's easy to get so upset with people. Who, why, why do we get mad at sinners when they sin? Why, why, do we, why do we get frustrated and disappointed when sinners do what they're naturally inclined to do? And, and when they don't understand the Bible and they don't understand the truth, they don't, well, here's why. This is, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If the Spirit of God is not alive in your heart and mind, and you don't have a new heart, and you're not born again, the Scripture's folly. It makes no sense. It's not something you love. It's something that, that you're very clearly disturbed by and, and, and you don't like it because it's folly. But what the Holy Spirit does is he makes the scriptures clear to us. You know, it, it dawned on me about four years ago that I was not able to see quite as well. And, and some of you were making fun of me about my double chin reading. I don't know if you noticed it, but I, I, I got the double chin reading going on there because I, I couldn't see up close. And so I, I, I tried to fool everybody and, and I went and I got one of those big letter Bibles, right? And, you know, at about that time, I was already preaching from my, my iPad, but I, I was doing more. And I found out I could put it in a 16 font. And so I, I could see it because I don't want to wear readers. I'm just not, it's not that I'm vain. It's just that I'm lazy and I'll lose them. I just don't want to. But then we were in Florida a while back and I couldn't read the menu. Now that changed my life. And so I got readers from that point because I want to be able to know what, what our options are here. I don't want people telling me what I can and can't eat. You know, and I got to know what I'm, what I'm dealing with here. So those readers, they made things clear. See, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He makes it clear. He makes the scripture clear. You know, when, when I was, and I use this term, make sure you understand. When I was coming to faith in Jesus Christ, 
I went to church for a long time trying to get a date with Carrie. I wasn't interested in Jesus. I was interested in her. And, and I, honestly, I found it easy to ignore the sermon because it was folly to me. These words didn't make any sense to me. I understood the vocabulary. I understood the sentences and the context of what they meant, but they didn't matter to me. But then, almost 34 years to, to this day, I began to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because it was 34 years ago this month that I repented of, repented of my sin and I believed the gospel and I was saved. And that happened through the work of the Spirit and the truth of the Word. You know, next week uh, we're going to begin studying the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I want to challenge you this week sometime to go and read the Beatitudes. And if you've got time and you're so inclined, read the entirety of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning. It's the introduction to the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and there are some who say, oh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is so beautiful. I, I love hearing about this, uh, this, this college class where it was an English class and they were, they were studying literature and the teacher assigned them to read the Sermon on the Mount and to provide a response paper. And as they were having verbal discussions, everyone was talking, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so elegant. And it shocked them when one of the young men presented his paper and said, this is not beautiful. It's terrifying. Are you guys reading what I'm reading? And here's what he said. He said, it's terrifying because if this is true and this is what God demands, nobody in this room can do it. It is terrifying what God demands of us. And this person, I don't know what happened to them, came to the understanding of what the Bible is. What is the Bible? What are the scriptures? This is Hebrews chapter four, beginning in verse 12. The metaphors are helpful. For the word of God is living and active. This is not dead print. It's alive, it's active, it's working. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It will cut you and what will it do? It will pierce, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we love the word of God, even though it cuts us every day that we read it. Even though it digs down into our heart and it finds those sick places that, that still need to be dealt with with the gospel. But for those who see it as folly, that pain is, is awful. And, and, and the idea is that, that pain is the enemy. And so we should not allow anything that would dare trouble or complicate the conscience of an individual. So we must get rid of the scriptures because they dare to say things that, that make people uncomfortable. They dare to say things that are absolute truth. Of course, in our world, that's unacceptable, isn't it? But friends, we should not be angry with those who, who see the scripture as folly. They do not have the spirit of God. They don't have the readers who is the Holy Spirit of God. And we who do know this truth, we should rejoice in the truth. Rejoice in the provision of God. Rejoice that we understand the plan of God because we know the word of God and we're able to live in this reality. And that's the third thing that the Holy Spirit does. That the Holy Spirit has come to give us divine reality. Changes our perception. It changes the very culture, the, 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 the way in which we live, in, in what we live. I love this last part in verse 17. You know him for he dwells with you and 
And this last prepositional phrase is so very important. This preposition is very important. I want you to make sure you note it. And will be in you. In you. Why is that important? It's important to understand throughout the millennia, the Holy Spirit has been experienced in different ways at different times. And so I'll put this on the screen. Some of you who've been around for a while, you know this. If you're new, it's important that you know this truth about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people. And so it's interesting when you read your Old Testament and you need to, that is the Word of God. You will, you will notice when you're reading any work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, and it's the same over and over, comes upon people. Now in the Gospels, in the Gospels, the Spirit would be present with people who were with Jesus. Jesus, born of the Spirit, born of a virgin. He, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The, because he's God, the Spirit of God is in him. He is God. And so to be in the presence geographically of Jesus was to be in the presence with the Holy Spirit. But after Pentecost, what we celebrate today, everything has changed. Now, after Pentecost, the Spirit lives in all who are born again. He's not out there coming and going. He is in and his life is, is giving us life. And our life is his life. We are born again in life. And we have life in this reality that is the kingdom of God. We're now able to live with this divine reality. And this changes, it changes everything. I mean, there's, there's one thing to be around religion. And some of you, you, you've been around religion. Some of you've studied religion. You, you've, you've read scripture. You've, you've gotten some understanding of the Bible. But for some of you, it's not changing you. It's not in you. It's, 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 it's a concept, but not a reality. You know, when I was in college, we, we took a class. I had a course at Belmont. It was um, called Christian Doctrine. And given the, 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 the lack of Orthodox faith, I was really surprised that the, our, our, our textbook was Christian Doctrine by Dr. Millard Erickson. And I highly recommend this work to you. This is a work that we give to our elders uh, to assist them in giving oversight and direction to our congregation as it pertains to doctrine. Because what Dr. Erickson does is he shows different views and then he shows the Orthodox view that has been the Christian view for, for two millennia. And, and, and I was in a class where I was a minority. I was, I was among the very few that believed that the Bible was the inerrant, infallible word of God. There were others in the course who, who believed in gay theology. Some believed in a social gospel. And, and there were arguments and there were all kinds of hard conversations. It was so good for me to learn to sit and, and to have a conversation with people that, that were heretics, that didn't believe anything of what the Bible taught, but to still love them. Now, it was interesting to have those conversations. And honestly, as the semester was going on, I noticed that things were getting a little heated. I noticed there, there, there were people that were standing up. People were crying. People were hollering because they were saying, you know, what you're saying is, it's not just a truth, it's my identity. And for you not to say that is a rejection, not only of the thought, but the very activity of who I am. And it was getting, whoa. But then something happened. It was, it was fascinating. Dr. Millard Erickson came to our campus as a guest lecturer. And that was such a fun three days for me because I was the host. I got to drive him everywhere and eat all meals with him and got to be around. But it was funny, when he was there, all of a sudden everyone was pleasant. 
everyone was like, well, here's the author of the book we've been studying. I don't think there'll be any arguments here. He knows what he wrote and what he wrote was what he said. And so let's just all smile. It, it really did change the atmosphere to have the author there. And so it is. And so it is in reality. This divine reality, because the spirit of God is in us and with us, it changes the atmosphere. It changes attitudes. It changes the way we perceive and the way we act and the way we live. And, and if you are born again and the spirit of God is in you, the gospel seed that has come into your life is now producing the fruit of the spirit. It says in Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, so important. Don't list this last phrase. Against such things, there is no law. You, you can't create enough rules to produce that authentic attitude within your own being. It is supernatural. And it only comes to those who are born again, to those who repent and believe the gospel, who receive the seed of the gospel. And that gospel seed gives life and that life produces change. I saw a, a reel this week. Um, fascinating documentary on, on how you can grow a lemon tree, even in Kentucky. And, and it was fascinating because it showed how you take a lemon seed and what you have to do to nurture it and, and, and to actually grow a, a, a lemon tree. And the way it concluded, I found odd because it said at the end, which didn't seem to me to need it to be said, but apparently it needed to be said. I mean, who am I to judge? But it said, and so you know, the lemon tree will only produce lemons, not oranges, pears, or apples. <laughs> Did we need that disclaimer? Was that really necessary? I don't know. Apparently it is. Apparently there were people who thought, I'm going to plant this lemon seed and we're going to get us some strawberries. Can I tell you what happens when the seed of the gospel comes to live in your soul by grace through faith in Christ alone? It produces fruit. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's the life of Christ. It's supernatural. It's a divine reality that you can, you can experience by the truth of the word because, because the spirit of God has come and he is giving life. But you must believe. Now, much of what I said to you today, for some of you, it's not real for you. And I want to encourage you to know that it can be. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't, you don't know my background. No, I don't, but God does. And God saw to it that you would be here today to hear the truth of the word taught. And I would encourage you, if you're being moved and convicted by the Holy Spirit as I was 34 years ago, we're going to have some leaders here at the front. Come and talk with them. Now, some of you are born again believers, but I want to ask you a question. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? See, it also says in Scripture in different places, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many of us are being rude to the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? You know, it's rude when someone's in the room or present and you completely ignore them and don't acknowledge their presence and don't live in light of it. I wonder how many of you who today are born again believers have been rude and have grieved the Holy Spirit with your sin. Not just your active sin, just your apathy. 
How many of you have allowed your hearts to grow cold to the very presence and power of God? I wonder how many need to be renewed today. I wonder how many need to commit themselves to say, God, I want to join you in what you're doing in the world. How many of you today would say, Lord, you said in, in Acts 1.8 that, that your spirit would come upon them and, and bring power so that we could be your witnesses to the world. I wonder how many today would say, Lord, I, I need to be recommissioned. I need to be, I need to be reconnected in the work that you're doing in the world and in my life. Let's stand together as we consider those things. And care leaders, if you would, please come forward that you can provide care to the congregation. Let's pray as they come. Father God, we are so grateful for your sovereign power and will and that you promised the Holy Spirit would come. And Holy Spirit, we celebrate you today, the day that you came, some 50 days after the resurrection of our Lord. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you have lived a holy life, that you died in our place. You've been raised and now have conquered death. And all who repent and believe, trust in you, will be saved. Holy Spirit, that can't happen apart from your work. So please, please bring some who are currently dead to life. Those who see the word of God as folly, that they may clearly understand and be bothered and believe. Father, I pray for your children, your citizens of your kingdom, that you would move in our hearts. And Lord God, if we've dishonored you, Holy Spirit, if we've grieved you, forgive us. If you would, right there where you are, if you need to repent of that, do that right now. If you've grieved the Spirit with sin or apathy or indifference toward Him, being rude to Him, repent. Renew your commitment to walk with Him, to join Him in the work He's doing in the world. Oh, Father, we've looked at three blessings from your word today. I pray there's been a conviction and a challenge by your spirit. And I pray, oh God, that you would now, as we go, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your counts upon us and give us peace as we live in accordance with your word. We promise we will give you the praise for it. Now bless those who need to come and talk to one of these leaders. Bless those who need to simply come and kneel here at the front as others are leaving and talk to you about their life and what needs to change as they ask for help. Oh, helper, please give it. We trust you to do this in the name of Christ our Lord.